Well, that's showing you that the people are confused about the church. All right, so we're looking at the church today. You know, many people are confused. Uh, some have had, never had uh, parental examples. They never grew up in church. They, uh, they just got saved recently and never been involved in a local church. There, many people are looking for the church home that they want to be involved in. Uh, a lot of opinions about the church, right? And these are just some of this kind of comical little story here. The 2022 State of the, uh, Theology survey that we've been looking at shows that there's been a great slide in church involvement and membership in recent times, um, not only in America but among evangelicals as well. In the mid-1990s, according to, the, to Gallup, 70% of Americans belong to a church. Uh, today it's about 47%, less than half. In the State of Theology survey, 36% of Americans think it's important to be involved in a local church. Evangelicals are much higher than that. They say 68% believe that they are obligated to be a member of a local church. That still leaves a third of all evangelicals, the, the most conservative slice of Christianity, who do not believe that being part of a local church is important and being a member of it. And attendance is a lot worse. Uh, following the secularization trend that we're in right now of America, 34% uh, of Americans attended church regularly in 2019, 34%, about of a third of Americans. After the pandemic, it slid to 28% of Americans that now regularly attend. And a couple of things on that, by regular attendance, according to this survey, that meant you went to church once or twice a month, which is not what I would call a regular attender of a local church. Uh, on top of that, that meant also that 20 million Americans dropped out of church totally after the pandemic. We are truly in a free fall of sorts. Go to Matthew chapter 16 with me and look at what Jesus has to say about his church. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus only mentioned the church on two occasions uh, that are recorded in the Gospels. Matthew 18 and Matthew 16. In Matthew chapter 16, in verse 13, it reads this way. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and other Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Christ has given us a promise to build his church. And nothing, no, no power on heaven or earth or, or above or below the earth has any power over his church. He will build his church. And that does not necessarily mean that every local assembly will do well. That it will always exist. Their churches go out of business every year. But it does mean that his church will continue to flourish. It will continue to persevere against all odds. That leads us to our subject today, what every Christian, and we've been in this series for a while, what every Christian must know about certain things such as God and Christ and Holy Spirit and, and salvation. Today we're going to look at what every Christian must know about the church. And uh, I think there's more confusion on this issue among Christians than almost any other area. So hopefully our message today, very quickly going through this, will be of help uh, to many people today. We're going to look at some highlights. Uh, and first of all, we're going to start off with what is the church? And as we start, think about that, 
The first thing I would say is the Greek word for church is ecclesia. And that is a word that from which we get our word ecclesiology, the doctrine of, of the church. It means to be called out uh, to, together. So I've got this clicker in my pocket and I can't get it out. <laughs> Hang on a second here. Thank you. All right. That'll teach me to do things I, that's why I don't lose things. All right? Okay. I'll be showing you a few slides in a moment. So anyway, the word is ecclesia. ecclesia it means to call out or to assemble. Uh, it is a word that uh, is a, it was used in a secular environment when the town fathers of a certain village or whatever called out in a, a town assembly. And that was the word assembly or ecclesia. And so it was used in a secular sense of a, an assembling of people, of coming together. So it's not, the church is not a building. We talk all the time kind of sloppily about going to church or we're, we're going to meet at the church and do this or that. But the building is not the church. The, uh, the, the, build, the church is a called out group of people uh, for the purposes of God. So the church has kind of, kind of uh, taken on that word church, the ecclesia, and the world doesn't use that term very often anymore, but uh, that is what we are. But having said that, a church is not a Bible study. You have a Bible study in your home, that is not a church. Uh, a church is not a, a conference, a Bible conference that you go to. A church is not a campus ministry that you might be involved in. A church is, is none of those things. There's definite parameters for the local church spelled out in, in Scripture. So what are some of those parameters? Well, first of all, every church must have elders. For this reason, Paul says, I left you in Crete, talking to Titus, that you should set in order and re what remains and appoint elders in every church as I directed you. So the church is a little more mature by this time, and, and Paul says, I have left you behind in a certain area so that we could appoint elders in every church. Every church, every city in that area needed elders that led the church. So a local church has leadership. Uh, the word elder is also, uh, you find a similar term of overseers and pastors and shepherds, all the same word. Different churches might use different words, but they must have spiritually qualified men appointed as leaders over that assembly or it's not a church. So a Bible study, a conference, whatever, is not a church. There's no appointed leadership, no appointed elders over that. It also has a specialized ministry. The church is called to baptize. The church is called to proclaim the Lord's Supper. Uh, the church is responsible for teaching the Word of God and for caring for the souls of its members, a specialized ministry. And then also uh, the church, according to the Apostle Paul, has a number of, of different uh, ministries wrapped around several pictures here. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, it reads, I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long, but in case I am delayed, I am writing, so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. So several things we learn about the church here. First of all, it is the household of God, or his family. So sometimes we speak of the family of God as a, as a church. Uh, secondly, we see it belongs to the living God. It's not ours. This is not my church. This is not your church. It's God's church. It's a church of the living God. He, it belongs to him. He's in charge of all things. And then it's the pillar and the support of the truth. And I want to come back to that one in just a moment. But there are other metaphors found in the New Testament as well 
that's to, to describe the church. One is that, that the church is a temple. 1 Corinthians 3.16, speaking to the church. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Uh, the Israel had a temple. The church is a temple where God dwells within us. Another metaphor is the bride of Christ described in Ephesians 5, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body, the bride of Christ. Revelation 19, verses 7 and 8 speaks of the bride of Christ being ready for the day of, of Christ's coming. And then we have the body of Christ as well, the, the most important, most descriptive metaphor of all, where it says in Colossians 1.18 that, that uh, he is also the head of the church. He is the head of the body of the church, the body. And so these are some of the metaphors. We'll come back and look at that a little later. But I want to talk for a moment with you about what is the purpose of the church then. We see these pictures. We see these metaphors. Why did God form the church? What's his purpose? Why did he create the church to begin with? Well... As we look at that, we start, with, first of all, with, the, with what he didn't do. It's an error to believe that the church, the church's job is to evangelize the whole world. Sometimes we hear the term fulfill the Great Commission. We're never going to fulfill the Great Commission, folks. We're not called to do that, nor are we set up to set up the kingdom of God on earth. We will never set the kingdom of God up on earth because that is not our job. Christ is going to evangelize the world. He's going to bring all people to himself when he comes. And he's going to set up his kingdom when he comes. Our call is not to do those things. But we are, and we're also not called to be uh, people that are developing a social Im improvement program. We're not here to make our, our social world, our culture, a happier place to be necessarily. Except indirectly as we live our lives for Christ. So why are we here? Why did Christ form the church? Let me give you three main duties of the church. First of all, to glorify God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, he says, Whether then you, are, you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now that's written to Christians as well as the church, to God's people. Our main task always in everything we do, Whatever that might be, when we're having fun times or socials or, or worship times or whatever we're doing, we're doing it to the glory of God and to his, to his glory only. Secondly, the church is to evangelize. In the very first messages at Pentecost, as Peter was preaching in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, we read these words. So then those who had received the word were baptized. These are people who got saved. And that day there was added about 3,000 souls. So on the very first day of the, the birthday of the church, 3,000 people joined up the church. They were added that day to the body of Christ. Verse 47, a little later on, it says, Praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so that wasn't just day one, but ongoing, the church told others about Jesus Christ and the Lord added to the number, day by day, thousands of people, even in the first weeks and months of the church. And so the church is on a mission. The church is on a mission to rescue the lost. The church is on a mission to be a light that points to Jesus Christ. And that's our, one of our missions. And one more thing, however, and that is to edify the saints. In Acts 2.42, it says, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. As soon as these people got saved, as soon as they became part of the body of Christ, at that point the only local church in existence there in Jerusalem, they immediately began to do four things. And it's my humble opinion that these four things mark out the paradigm of the local church to this day. These are the same four things that we major on, that we do as a church body, and I think this marks out the, the duties of the local church. As we look at those, let's look caref more carefully at them. First of all, there's four, there's four purposes mentioned here. Number one, and that it, and I'm going to go back for that just for one second. We are, they were to continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. The very first thing they wanted to do is to come together in devotion, in dedication, in all seriousness to hear the Word of God. And not just the Old Testament scriptures, which many of them knew, but now they wanted to hear the apostles' teachings, the, what would be eventually written down in the epistles. Uh, the Word of God that we have before us today in the New Testament is what the apostles taught. And they were hungry for that. They couldn't get enough of that. They devoted themselves to that. They didn't just show up once in a while or they, 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 they made a point of it. They, they devoted themselves to that. And the reason why is a verse we just read. Uh, he said, Paul said in 1 Timothy 3.15, one of my favorite verses along this line, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how to, one ought to conduct themselves in the household of God, which is the churches of living God. Now get this, the pillar and the support of the truth. The church does something that nobody else can do. No other organization is called to do this. Nobody else has this privilege. We are the pillar and the support of the truth of Almighty God. What a privilege we have in that regard to, to lay that foundation, to support that foundation, to proclaim that foundation, to proclaim the truth of God's Word. The church has given that, folks. Other groups might do that. Other organizations can be involved. I thank the Lord for that. But that is the, is the obligation, the, the job description of every local church. So any church you go to that is not making that a priority of what they do is not a biblical church. And you need to find one that teaches faithfully the Word of God because that's what we do. Going back to our passage, they did a second thing. They, they continued to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. The second thing we see a church doing is communion together, fellowship. Uh, they needed one another, and they knew they were going to face persecution. They knew they were going to have opposition of all kinds. And so they, they came together devoting themselves to one anothering, as it's often says over 20 times in the New Testament. Fellowshipping together, communing together, they needed one another. We fellowship over things that we're interested in. If we like sports, we fellowship with people that like sports. If we like gardening, we do the same, or quilting, or whatever we like, we can gather our little groups and fellowship over those things. But the Church of Jesus Christ comes together for other purposes. We come together with all sorts of interests and ideas and, and desires here, but we fellowship over Jesus Christ himself and the proclamation of his word. Jesus Christ and his word. That's our fellowship. That's why we come together as a body of Christ. And then there's breaking of bread. And that uh, includes not only eating together, which I think it did, but also the Lord's Supper as we did this morning. Communion in that way. I got an email, an interesting email the other day from 
some people in another in Europe who apparently watch our programs, who probably might be listening right now, will probably send some kind of hate mail, I don't know. But um, they are apparently very, very versed on what we do. They read the bulletin. <laughs> Anybody convicted here? Huh? They read it. And they're apparently you know, what we do. And they were being critical, apparently they've been favorable of me in the past. They were being critical of me about some of the things we have done recently. And one of the things they pinpointed is we eat too much. Every, he says, you look like you eat all the time at that church. Amen, right? I make no apologies for that. It seems like in the New Testament, every time the church got together, they ate. So maybe we don't have enough eating around here. I don't know. But we do have little powdered donuts at the other end if you need something to eat this morning. The church ate together, fellowshiped around food, fellowshiped around the Lord's table, and they devoted themselves to prayer. They prayed together. And you know why? Because they needed prayer. When do you pray the hardest? When do you really buckle down and cry out to God? When you're in crisis, when you're hurting, when you don't know where to turn. You pray then if you pray at no other time. This group of people here were going to face great opposition, great persecution, and they knew it. And so they, they buckled down and they became people dedicated to prayer by themselves and prayer with the other people in the body of Christ. These four activities still describe the purpose and the mission of the local church. No church is perfect because we're made up of flawed people. And not every church will do what every other church does. And we don't have to. Local churches are unique. They're unique in their personalities. They're unique in their ministries. Every church has a personality. Now, some church scholars claim that, that after a pastor has been in a church for 10 or more years, the church takes on his personality. I apologize. <laughs> Having been here all these years, if you're like me, it, you know why you need to confess a lot, pray a lot, but I apologize for that if, if some of you have become like me. Uh, I'm trying to get better, so so should you. But uh, we have, each church has its own uniqueness. Each church has its own unique ministries. They do it differently. And it's not necessarily right or wrong. Uh, one church will have uh, midweek church services. And uh, another church does not. One church will have a choir or, or even an organ. Uh, another will have a praise band. Another church will sing only psalms. I know of churches that will sing only the psalms. And some will only sing hymns, things that have been written a hundred years ago or, or more, perhaps. Some will only sing contemporary songs. I just read an article recently said that the, the modern contemporary song, Christian song, the most recently written songs, have a lifespan of about three to four years. And then they're, then they're not sung ever again. So that's a different style. Is it right or wrong? I, that, I don't think that's an issue we need to talk about. Everybody, every church has uniqueness. One church has Awana, another church wouldn't ever have Awana. Another will emphasize casual dress. You see all the time people, uh, churches advertising, come as you are, come casually. Other churches would say, hey, we're coming to honor God, you should dress up a little bit. You should be more formal. You know, I might take off my tie later. What, what a shock that would be to, to some of you to get casual there. Every church is different. We have a lot of variety, but a, a biblical church has these four marks, I believe, as described in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 47. 
Now here's another question we want to deal with. How is the church supposed to function? I want you to go to the Ephesians chapter 4 for this. The book of Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to look at how the church is to function. And I want to look at two things quickly. One, the body life, the life of the body. And secondly, the leadership. The body and the leadership. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16, I think is the most, probably the most clear and intense passage in all the scripture on how the church is to function. So I think this is a powerful passage of scripture. What is God's design for the local church? How should it function? What is its mission? So Paul tells us in these verses. God's plan begins in verse 11 with gifted men. He said in verse 11, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. And so he set up the foundation of the local church on the basis, first of all, of the apostles and prophets. This is a flyover here, folks. Just a very quick flyover. I'm not looking at all the details, but it's a flyover. He gave the apostles and prophets back in chapter 2, verse 20, laid the foundation of the local church. When that foundation was laid, the pastor, teachers, and evangelists built on that foundation. And so we have that, that building on that foundation. What are these gifted men given to the church to do? It says in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. We are to equip the saints for the building up of the body of Christ. There's the task of the church. There's the mission of the church. Equipping the church edifying the church, building up the church so that it, it is what God wants it to be. When that happens, in the next little passage here, verse 13, it, we begin to see what it, a church looks like when a church is being equipped and properly built up by the pastor teachers of the church that, that build the church up in the word. What does it look like? Four things. First of all, there is the unity of the faith. The common ground of the church is the faith in Jesus Christ. Paul, sets, Paul gives that to us here. We may not all agree about many things, but we agree about the centrality of Jesus Christ. And we're, we're united around Jesus Christ, if nothing else. Secondly, we have the knowledge of the Son of God. That means we emphasize and grow in the knowledge of Christ. We're not a social club. We're, we don't teach how to cook or math. Somebody here might teach a little of that, but that's not the purpose of the church. We are not a legion hall. Sometimes people get confused about, the le about whether or not we're uh, American legions or the Church of Christ. We're the Church of Christ. We're not the PTA. We're, we're not a political caucus. All those things might have their place, but that is not what the church is called to do. The church is called to, to proclaim the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, to let the world know the greatness and the magnificence and the magnitude and the splendor of Jesus Christ. That is what we do. We do that in everything we do. If we don't do that, then we're not doing what God has called us to do. We're equipping the saints to understand that Jesus Christ is everything, that he is all, and we are to worship him and live for him and love him and serve him. And then we are to be mature. It says, to a mature man, to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. 
We're trying to mature people, and that looks like Christ, Christ-likeness. Maturity and Christ-likeness. Our goal is to grow together in Christ-likeness. To look more and more every day like Jesus Christ. That's our goal. We'll never get there until the Lord comes back, but that is our goal. That's what we're aiming to do. In turn, what happens when a church is like this, or at least growing in this direction? Well, there's several results. Verse 14, first of all, we're no longer easily deceived. Verse 14 says, as a result, we're no longer children. To be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. We're no longer easily deceived by all the isms and all the ideas and all the philosophies and all this, that, and the other that's plopping around the, the world in our churches today. We're not taken in by those things because we know God's Word. Secondly, we speak the truth in love, verse 15. Speaking the truth in love is so important. We're growing in both of those aspects. That when the church comes together, we speak the truth. If we're not speaking God's truth, then go home. Go somewhere else. Don't come here. Unless we're preaching and teaching God's truth, we have no purpose. And so we speak God's truth. But it says to do so in love. We do so in kindness. We do so with broken hearts. We do so because we care about the lives of people and how they live and how they honor Christ. And so we reach out in love as well as in truth. And then we grow up into Christ, thirdly, verse 14. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up into all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. Growing up into Christ. And when we focus on this, the church is different than any other organization, any other institution. Our focus is not on a program. Our focus is not on promoting some product. Our focus is not on promoting us. Our focus is laser-focused on Jesus Christ and on God's people attempting to grow them into Christ-likeness as we reach them with the gospel. This is what the church does. And if it does not do that, it may succeed in many other areas, but it fails in being what God wants us to be. And And churches, folks, must be very careful. This is hard today. We must be very careful not to be distracted from these missions, this mission, by all the many good things that a church could do and all the many good things you might think we ought to do. These are good things, perhaps, and there's places to do those good things. But the church's mission has been defined by Christ and His Word. It, it tells us what we are and what we are to do, and we dare not drift from that mission. We must stay focused, laser-focused, tenacious, on doing these things that God has called us to do. And then verse 16 brings in the whole body of Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by every joint uh, supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. The, the equipping and the building of the body is not left up to, simply to the leaders of the church. The whole body must be involved in that project of growing up and being built up into Christ. One of the favorite metaphors of the Apostle Paul is the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 says, For the body uh, is not one member but many. If the foot says, Because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for that, any, that reason uh, any less part of the body. 
And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were a hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desires. That tells me that you are where God wants you to be. He has gifted you to be what he wants you to be. And he's placed you in a body to be a minister within that body just like he wants you to be. This passage, I think, in 1 Corinthians written to some who felt they weren't necessary. They weren't needed. And Paul makes it very clear that they are needed. That takes us to another subject we must hasten to quickly, and that is leadership. Every church is to be led by elders. What are those elders to do? What are they doing? Let me give you a few things very quickly. Number one, they are to shepherd. I'm sorry, shouldn't have taken it away. They are to shepherd or pastor the flock of God. 1 Peter 5 says this, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and, and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion. Shepherd the flock of God. What a beautiful picture. A shepherd, all the things a shepherd does for the flock, feed and protect and guard and, and, and take care of them medically, a shepherd of the church of Christ is to do. I don't think a, a better picture could be given. But they're not just to uh, shepherd in that way, they're also to be examples. Not yet as lording it over those allotted in your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Uh, the shepherds of the church must be examples of Christ-likeness before the church. They also are to teach the Word of God. And now I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The teaching of God's Word is given to the elders of the local church. They're also to protect the church. Look at this one. Be on guard for yourselves, for all the flock among whom the, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which He's purchased with His own blood, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will, will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And so the church, the leadership is called to protect that flock. I want you to notice there, because we're going to move right on to this, that among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, God has appointed elders over every local church, over a local church. The elders of this church are not over another church. This is this church. They each have their own elders we trust. I'm going to move on from that. Hebrews 13, 17 gives us another one. They are to lead. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who are given account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. They are to lead, and the people in the church are to follow that leadership because they are to give soul care to the body of Christ. We care for the souls of, the lo of those within our body. I'll we'll move on to one more subject. Why should you join or participate in a local church? In Grace to Use Ministry, that's the ministry connected with John MacArthur, uh, they say this, in a day when commitment is a rare commodity, it should come as no surprise that church membership is such a low priority to so many believers. Sadly, it's not uncommon for Christians to move from church to church, never submitting themselves to the care of elders, and never committing themselves to a group of fellow believers. To neglect or to refuse to join a church as a formal member, however, reflects a misunderstanding of the believer's responsibility to the body of Christ. 
It also cuts one off from the many blessings and opportunities that flow from this commitment. It is essential for every Christian to understand what church membership is and why it matters. With that in mind, I want to give you some reasons to be a member. First of all, a church member, what is it? A church member is one who's formerly committed themselves to a local church. They are individual believers who committed themselves to a local church. They have submitted and placed themselves under the shepherding care of a body of elders. And they committed themselves to minister in the body of Christ as God enables them. And so it is a commitment. It's a, pl- a voluntary commitment of submission and commitment to the body of Christ and placing ourselves under that leadership. On occasion, some people will even question the biblical grounds for membership in a church, and they'll, or they'll see no purpose in it at all. They will claim to be part of the universal church. You know, and they feel, might feel that's superior. I'm part of the universal church, all the church. I know many, many uh, believers who attend many different churches and think that's a superior thing. I don't think so. And here's why. Six reasons, or six questions you should ask yourself, let's put it that way, uh, concerning church membership and why you shouldn't dismiss it. Number one, which, this question is this. Which church leaders are you responsible to obey? When it says in the passage, and all these we've looked at already, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, it says, Submit to your leaders. Which ones are you submitting to? The, the leaders here? The Methodist church across town? The Baptist church over here? The Christian church over there? Who are your elders? And who are you submitting to as your spiritual authority? Secondly, which church leaders have oversight for your soul? Hebrews chapter 13 says that, that we as elders have oversight for the souls of those under our care. Which one are your elders? Who's that, which elders have care for your particular soul, and do they know it? You might say, well, I so-and-so, but they, do they know that? Have you, have you intentionally placed yourself under the authority of those elders? Thirdly, which church leaders are responsible to protect you from false teaching? We just saw in the book of Acts, he says, protect those who God has placed under your oversight. Which ones? Am I responsible for the church over there? Are that church over there? Are our elders responsible for that? Which elders are responsible to protect you from false teachings and false isms that are running around today? Three more. Which church leaders are holding you to account and have the right to come before you and hold you to account and would be responsible to bring you under church discipline if necessary? Which church would do that? The church across town? or a local church that you're involved in. Which elders are your elders? Do they know you're, they're your elders? Ne- next, which church do you, do you function as a part of the body by giving and receiving ministry to that local church? Without a formal commitment to the local church, none of these things are possible. You know, the church is an easy target. A lot of criticism comes the church's way. Sometimes it's due, it's deserved. If the church is on the front lines of the ministry for Jesus Christ, it takes the direct hit from the enemy, there are casualties, and yet it perseveres, as Christ promised it would, for the cause of Christ. And it it is where the primary work of Christ is. That's what the scriptures say. When I have been asked numerous times throughout the years from, from different people, usually somewhere else, sometimes here, why are you a pastor? 
Why, why, don't you go, why don't you go do something else sometime from here? Not always, but you know, why don't you become a, a Bible college teacher, seminary professor, or, or why don't you do uh, a work where you travel around teaching about, why don't you do those things? And my, my answer is this, I never even thought about it. There's nothing like the local church. We are on the front line of every spiritual battle there is. The church is God's program. He's placed us there. Everything else is secondary to the local church. We're on the front lines, and only of the church does it say that Jesus Christ loves it. Like, like a husband is to love his bride. He loves the church and gave himself for it. I hope you're happy to be part of a local church. And if you're not, that you will choose to come under the submission of the local church and be part of that body. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you now for the church of Christ, that you love it, that you even have the, the, the love to place us in it and to be part of it, how we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.